Well, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling Transformation That Honors God. Now, as those words are trying to find a resting place in your heart, it won't take very long. You'll be happy to know that transformation does not begin with a checklist. It begins with a choice. Okay? And I believe in the depths of my heart that every believer, every Christian has this innate desire, this wanting on the inside of them to honor God. I believe he puts that on the inside of us when he gives us the Holy Spirit. I really do. We want to honor him, first of all, in our thoughts. You see, that's the playground right there, the mind, right? The thoughts. It's where all the activity takes place. Everything we do, for the most part, comes, first of all, from a thought, whether it's just an instant thought or something we've been dwelling on for a while. And we want to honor God with our thoughts, don't we? We want to think on good things and pure things and lovely things. But sometimes it feels like our thoughts fall off the merry-go-round, don't it? It does. And we seem a little dizzy in life, and uh, but we finally make our way. But we want to honor God with our thoughts, and I believe we want to honor God with our words. And sometimes our words are rehearsed, sometimes they're practiced, and other times they're spontaneous. They just kind of up and out of you at in any given moment. But we do want to honor God with our words. The scriptures tell us that we should not let any unwholesome communication proceed out of our mouth, but only that which is for the use of edifying, that it might minister grace to the listener, to the hearer. So our words are very powerful. Our words are very important. And uh, I think we really, deep inside of us, we want to honor God with our words. I do. Whether I'm at work or at church or at the restaurant, Yes, we can have fun everywhere we go. We can be lighthearted. We can be more serious, of course. But I believe we want to honor God with our words. And of course, we want to honor him with our actions, our deeds, if you will. We want to honor God with our actions and deeds. We desire to honor God not because of the commandments. In other words, I'm talking about the people that have this revelation of his grace. I'm not setting my heart to honor God because of commandments. I'm setting my heart to honor God because of the revelation I see in him, the goodness I see in the Lord, the graces I see in him. I'm thankful for everything he's done for me. So it's really by choice that I honor him. Listen, mandatory volunteerism is an oxymoron, isn't it? Isn't that ridiculous? It is. Mandatory love is an oxymoron. Mandatory giving is an oxymoron. But God, the scriptures tells us, looks upon the heart of the man. Kind of like Valerie was saying. He looks upon our motivations. We should give out of love. We should do everything out of love. Absolutely. We should honor the Lord by the choices we make to love people and to be merciful and gracious and kind and compassionate. But all of that should come up and out of love in our hearts. So there are a couple of things I want us to see through the message today. Number one, God is going to honor his word to us regardless of whether or not we honor him. Now, the religious people will not like that. <laughs> They'll fight you when you say that. But I've come by today to tell you that God is going to honor his word to us regardless of whether or not we honor him. God is going to honor his covenant with us regardless of whether or not we honor him. God is going to honor the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. God is going to honor his promises. The scriptures are full of promises that he's made to us. He is going to honor those promises regardless of whether or not we honor him. Friends, under the new covenant of grace, it is not built upon an I will, if you will condition. That is old covenant. Okay? God is not a 401k God that has matching contributions. I think that's what we think sometimes. I give some, you give some, God. And 
There's nothing wrong with I give some and you give some God, or I give a bunch, you give a bunch, or I give all and you give all. I don't have any problem with that. But I'm telling you, God is not doing what he's doing just because of what we're doing, okay? God is faithful. Scriptures say that even when we are faithless, when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. You can have a lot of hope in knowing that today, can't you? Because I think we can all open up a, the mind somewhere and find a file cabinet somewhere where we've been unfaithful in the past. But God is going to honor his covenant regardless. The new covenant is built upon Jesus' words when he said these words. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. That's what the covenant's built upon. It's built upon the peace that Jesus leaves with us, that Jesus gives to us. We're talking about the gospel of grace here that ushers in this deep-seated peace. And Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Did you note that he didn't say a peace, the peace, your peace. He said, my peace. The same peace that Jesus has is the same peace that he's given us. So when we think about this right here, our new covenant is built upon the peace that Jesus has given to us. Where does this peace come from? Very clear. Jesus said, it's my peace. It comes from Jesus. Romans chapter five, you know, I don't have the PowerPoint for it this morning, but some of my favorite scriptures are found there where it says, therefore, having been justified by faith. What does it say next? We have peace with God. So you see the justification. You see the declaring of innocence. That's what justified means. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Peace comes from Christ. It's the only place you can find peace. He is the author. He is the prince of peace. We get our peace from him. The honor that the Father has for Jesus is the exact same honor he has for us. That's an amazing thought. Religious people won't like that one either. Listen to me carefully again. The honor that God gives on his son, gives toward his son, is the same exact honor that he gives to us. God's honor for us is not based upon some sort of performance standard or some sort of loyalty rewards program. No, it's nothing like that at all. The Father honors us, listen to me carefully, because we are His. You know, I'll bet you it's three or four times a week, maybe five, maybe six, I don't know, it could be seven or eight. I don't know if there's a day that go, doesn't go by that I don't ask Valerie the same question I've been asking for years. And I don't know why I keep doing this. Her answer doesn't change. In fact, I'm not even looking for her answer to change. I'd be concerned if it did, to be honest with you. But I say to her, Valerie, why do you love me? <laughs> Every once in a while, she'll say, now, do we need to go over this again? <laughs> but that's just every once in a while. But when I say, Valerie, why do you love me? You know what she says? Because you're mine. I love that answer. God loves us because we are His. He honors us because we are His. Isn't that simple? Doesn't that make sense? Valerie doesn't say, well, I love you because, and then write out some sort of little checklist because you do this and you do this and you don't do this and you do this. She says, I love you. Let's just sum it up because you are mine. You're mine. And I believe this is the same reason we ought to honor God because he is ours. Honor what belongs to you. God belongs to us. We belong to him. Isn't that beautiful? He belongs to me. He's not far away and distant. No, he's up close and personal. And he belongs to me. I have access to him. I have all the heavenly realm rights of him. His honor for us flourishes. I'm telling you, it comes alive in our hearts when the revelation that we are his sons and the revelation that we are loved 
and the revelation that we are pleasing to him is quickened in our hearts. That's when everything begins to bubble up. That's when everything begins to flourish. That's when it comes alive. That's where the strength comes from. It comes from here, first of all, in your mind, believing these truths and embracing these truths. The transformation that honors God most, I believe, is when believers accept and embrace the truths that we are His, we are loved, and we are pleasing to the Father apart from our performance, apart from our contributions, and here's one for you, even apart from our failures. We are still loved in the midst of everything. We are still His in the midst of everything. And we are still pleasing to the Father because He honors us with the same love that He honors Jesus with. He does. We should celebrate. I mean celebrate. Throw a party, if you will. Celebrate such loving kindness by honoring Papa God. Yet there are those who stubbornly refuse to let go of the ladybug of the old covenant. <laughs> Look at that ladybug. I've got some explaining to do there, don't I? This is something that the Lord has been stirring in my heart over the past few weeks. The ladybug of the old covenant was the law. Have you ever noticed that even from a child that we have a fascination for ladybugs? Why is that? <laughs> because they're pretty. They're interesting. Likewise, many people, including believers, have a fascination with the law because they think that by observing the law, incorporating the law into their diet, their spiritual diet, that it will make them pretty. Friends, the very opposite is true. The law will make you ugly, to be honest with you. Listen, if you were to see a spider or a fly in your house, you'd kill it, wouldn't you? <laughs> sure you would. But you don't do that with a ladybug, do you? No, see, there, we mainly see them as too pretty, too harmless, too friendly. Friends, ladybugs may be one of the prettiest bugs there is, but they're one of the stinkiest bugs also. Did you know that? You see, a fly could land in your soup. You could scoop the fly out. You'd never know a fly had been in there. But if a ladybug gets in there, you'll know a ladybug's been in your soup. It changes everything. You see, when a ladybug becomes fearful, becomes afraid, it releases this very offensive chemical through their feet as their defensive mechanism. That's what it does. Through their feet, it releases this oil. You say, Pastor Mark, what's your point? Well, under the old covenant, a man's feet stink if you're talking about trying to live a new covenant life now based on old covenant principles a man's feet stink because he walks in a constant mosh pit of fear guilt shame and condemnation therefore he is constantly secreting the offensive chemicals found in mandatory volunteerism and mandatory love have you ever noticed the flying pattern of a ladybug it fascinates me. See, they don't fly in some sort of linear form like this. If they do, it's just a very short distance. No, they got this crazy looking thing. Just they're all over the place. And I always look at them and go, when I see them doing it, I'm thinking, you can't possibly really want to land where you just landed doing all that stuff. Watch them next time. They just fly a whole bunch of circles and they're all over the place. All of a sudden, poof, they land. They're erratic. <laughs> they're non-conventional, they're crazy, and they're all over the place. That's how they fly. And so it is with people who keep themselves under the old covenant law. They believe that they have dressed themselves up pretty, but in reality, they're all over the place, leaving behind the rotten stench that is emitted from wearing the grave clothes of guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. You see, you wouldn't be so gracious to a ladybug if it were venomous, would you? You wouldn't be so gracious then, would you? Friends, the law, listen to me carefully, the law to a believer is venomous. Not from the standpoint that it will kill your spirit man, but the law will kill your confidence in Christ and his finished work. 
The law will kill your confidence to believe that you are a son and that you are his and that you are pleasing to the Father. The law will kill your confidence that God will honor you just because you are his. The scriptures tell us that it's the written law that brings death, but it is the spirit that gives life. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we find these words. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Do you hear what Peter's writing there? He said, man, we didn't reach back into any fables. We didn't look back into any storybooks. We were with him when it happened. So we were eyewitnesses of this majesty. And then it says, he received honor. Who's he? We're talking about Jesus here, right? He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I want to draw your attention to that word honor. Do you see where it says he received honor? Jesus received honor from the Father when he heard those words. The word honor there speaks of identity. It speaks of your worth. It speaks of your value. And when we really begin to see that our identity, our worth, our value, if you will, it comes from hearing the voice of the Father. What did the Father say to Jesus? He said, this is my beloved Son, whom I love. In Him I am well pleased. These are the very words that Jesus heard when he was baptized into the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Please make note that up to this point in Jesus's life, he had not performed a single miracle. Why is that important? Because if you do really cool things, if you do really awesome things, then it's easy to go, hey, that guy's my friend. Jesus doesn't have any bragging rights at this point in time. He's not began his ministry officially yet. He's not even performed the miracle at the wedding in Cana yet. He's being baptized. He's at 30 years of age right here, friends. And when he comes up out of the water, he hears this majestic voice, the Father's voice. What did it sound like? Majestic, powerful. And he said, this is my beloved son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Please make note that up to this point, Jesus had preached no sermons. So if you preach a sermon and you did good, it would be nice to congratulate your son, say, son, boy, you really nailed it today. Oh, son, you really revealed my heart today. But Jesus had preached no sermons. So God is not saying that about his son because of something that Jesus has done. In other words, Jesus' honor that they're talking about there, that is his identity, that is his worth, that is his value, did not come from his own hands and did not come from his own tongue. Can you see that? His value came from hearing the heart of the Father and by trusting in his Father's character. Did you catch that? The heart of the Father, amen? and trusting in the Father's character. To say that a believer's identity, that means their worth, their value, is established upon anything other than the grace of God should be as foreign to you and me as a friend telling you their birthday is February 31st. That immediately should go, that's just foreign. That's impossible. Friends, I'm telling you, I'm not a big debater, I'm not a big arguer, I'm not a big get-in-your-face kind of guy, but I know error when I hear it, right? And I'm not here to pick a fight with anybody anywhere I go in life, but I know error when I hear it. It is a finished work. And I am persuaded by this gospel that Jesus did it once for all and all at once. So I believe there's times that we ought to just immediately reject such nonsense as someone saying, no, you've got to add this to your salvation, or you have to add this, or you've got to do this to continue to maintain it. It's just nonsense. The scriptures tell us it is the goodness of God, not the wrath of God. It is the goodness of God that leadeth man toward repentance. Do you find me an unrepentant person? Listen, I'll show you a person 
that has never come into the contact, never known, never experienced the goodness, the unconditional goodness of the Father. I'm going to say something. I want you to get this visual in your head. Repentance is the launch pad of transformation. I think it begins there. A rocket starts off, it's on a launch pad. Guess what? Guess what a launch pad is? It's just a non-flammable platform. That's all it is. And as believers, we are non-flammable. We need to see ourselves in that viewpoint, with that identity, from that worth, and from that value. Believers can never be separated from God ever again. Transformation has a cooperative effect to it. It has a cooperation to it. But moreover, our willingness to change the way we believe. We cannot transform without it beginning here. It has to begin here. When the way we believe changes, then the way we behave will change also. See, religion says change your behavior and then you'll change the way you believe. But they've just got it in reverse order, friends. They've got the right components. They're just in reverse order. Religion has it in the reverse order. When my son Taylor was born, he was one of my twins. He was the one that was born with congenital heart issues. I don't want to go in too deep on these things because it gets very complicated. Only Marty would understand these things from a nursing background. But one of the issues that Taylor had was a transposition of the great arteries. You have the ascending aorta and pulmonary. You have the descending pulmonary artery and, and also the aorta artery. And they were coming off the opposite sides of the heart. No human being could ever live if you just said, we're not doing anything to you. They'll always require surgery. Absolutely. So it's a birth defect that these two arteries are switched kind of at birth, and they're coming off the opposite sides of the heart, transposed they call it, and you just wouldn't have any hope without that surgery. And he underwent that surgery at six days of age. So here is a transposition. Something has to change. Something has to change for him to oxygenate well. And I believe that's the case for us as believers. I believe in our spirit man, we are sealed until the day of redemption. There's no question about that. But our mind, again, this is your battlefield. This can be your playground as well. But this is where everything is taking place. And if that doesn't change, then there'll be no outward change. It changes here first. Have you ever noticed that uh, the religious people of the world think they are the experts at heart surgery? Did you ever notice that? I noticed that because I used to be that way. I figured it was my obligation, if you will, to do heart surgery on anybody at one time that I felt had a belief system that could ultimately make them flammable again. <laughs> so I'm just performing heart surgery on everybody. They're always picking at you and they're always trying to fix you. I mean, they get so picky, you could draw a perfect circle and a religious man would come along and say, that circle's upside down. That's what they do. They're always picking on you, picking at the little things. That was the Pharisees for you too. Always picking on the little things. You can't seem to do anything right when you're under religion. Friends, that's the old covenant. You know what it is? It's a transposition of the great arteries. It puts Moses in Jesus' seat and puts Jesus in Moses' seat. And it drains the life-giving oxygen right out of your blood. It really does. The old covenant was not designed to complement the believer. It was designed to convict the unbeliever and to condemn him as well. Under the new covenant, we already possess everything that pertains to life and godliness through our Father's divine power, glory, and goodness. We already have everything that pertains to life through our Father's power, glory, and goodness. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, we find these words. Look at this. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. <laughs> I just told you, that's, that's where you get it from, right there. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. You lack no good thing. Isn't that what the scripture is saying? It's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Oh, I love that. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by its evil desires. Next scriptures. 
For this reason, all those reasons I just gave you, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. I don't know about you, <laughs> wow, when I read all those right there, I think, man, that's an entire transformation system. Friends, the transformation that honors God, when you first read it, it sounds like a comprehensive list of things to do or things to practice in order to be effective or productive in this life and to escape the corruption in this world. May I take the liberty as I stare at those scriptures, though, to remind us that we have escaped the corruption and evil desires of this world, not through a list of virtuous practices, but through the glory, the goodness, the precious promises, and the divine nature that our Father has given to us. That's how we have escaped this nonsense in the world. Again, he says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Next scriptures. Look at what he says now. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are not salvation scriptures, friends. But look what it says. But whoever does not have them, what's them? That's the virtues. That's the qualities. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now, Nearsighted is when a person is unable to see things clearly unless they are relatively close to the eyes. That's nearsighted. What happens is the old covenant keeps the ladybug on a leash and God at a distance. It's just the opposite. It's transposition. We got the ladybug on a leash, God at a distance. No, God wants to be up close and personal. Forget about the ladybug. Friends, God no longer listens through the frequency, the sound waves, or the vibrations of the old covenant law. The law was rendered obsolete. If you don't believe me, go look it up sometime. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. The law was rendered obsolete. And so God is not tuned to that frequency anymore. Instead, Papa's heart is tuned to the frequency that broadcasts the name of Jesus. That's the frequency that gets his attention. The frequency that brings him up close and personal. The frequency that transmits the message of Jesus' finished work through the new covenant of grace. The frequency that oxygenates our hearts with the good news of peace. I leave with you my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto thee. Let not your heart be troubled neither let it be afraid. That frequency, that's the frequency that Papa's listening on. When a believer forgets that they have been cleansed from their past sins, then faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love will only become a list of commandments. That's all they'll be when you have forgotten that you've been cleansed of your sins. But when a believer is put in remembrance that he or she has been totally vindicated and cleansed from all their sins, then the transformation that honors God begins to blossom in their heart and in their life. Friends, our faith and our goodness and our love become effective and productive to help us with everything that we need in life. That's what they're there for. They're not the means to get us saved and keep us saved. They're there to be helpers. They're there to help other people see the kingdom of God. As you're operating in faith, people take note. As you're operating in goodness, people take note. As you're operating in mutual affection, you're getting along with people. As you're operating in love, as you're operating in self-control and perseverance, people take note of this. But what happens to these qualities? What happens to these virtues? The scriptures are telling us right there, they get pushed back. They get held up somehow when we have forgotten that we've been cleansed from all of our past sins. <laughs> it's so 
liberating, if you will, to know I've been cleansed from all my past sins. Amen. Absolutely. When faith, goodness, and love become effective and productive, they help us with everything that we need in life. But the stumbling block to accessing these virtues is when we dwell on the sins, whether they were from a long time ago or on your way to church, when we dwell on the sins that God has already cleansed us from. Please don't dwell on those things. The second thing I want us to know is that there is a transformation that does not honor God. Jesus himself talked about that. Matthew 23, verse 15. Here's what Jesus said. He said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. He said, you hypocrites. Man, I, you know what? If I would have been standing with Jesus, when he said, Mark, come on, let's go talk to these Pharisees. I've been like, oh, let's, let's go do it, Jesus. We're going to have fun now. And then when Jesus looked at them and said, you hypocrites, <laughs> I probably would have said, Jesus, we need to get out of here right now, right now. Because that is hard language. I'll tell you one thing, the easiest way for a man to get a bloody nose, just go stand out in front of Walmart and call every man a hypocrite on the way in. I guarantee you won't be standing there long. You'll have a bloody nose. But Jesus is speaking the truth. He says, woe to you teachers of the law. He's going to the elite. Forget about you peons for a second. Let's talk to the teachers of the law. Let's talk to you Pharisees. He said, you hypocrites. He said, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert. Not a convert to Christianity, a convert to Judaism. He says, you will travel a long distance. You'll walk around the lake. You travel a long ways to win a single convert. And then Jesus says, and when you have succeeded, you have made them twice as much a child of hell as you are. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? <laughs> I'm a pretty bold guy, but I just can't see taking that scripture right there and using that very well in evangelism, to be honest with you. That is really strong language, but Jesus is speaking the truth here, friends. Remember, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's speaking the truth. Friends, a crocodile cannot give birth to an elephant. An elephant cannot give birth to a crocodile. Animals produce after their own kind. So does it really surprise you that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law gave birth to hypocrite converts? Not really, does it? No, not really. Sons of hell, just like themselves. That's what you give birth to. I'm talking about the converts that refuse to kneel before Jesus and receive a transposition of the great arteries of the heart. The transposition and transformation that honors God. You say, Pastor Mark, and I got asked this question this past week in a time of ministry over the phone. And this came up in one of those conversations. Why is there so much division in the church? Why can't we just all agree that the gospel of grace is the finished work of Jesus Christ? Why do some still want to hold on to the ladybug of the old covenant? Why are we all over the board in terms of what we believe? Where is the unity? Where is the oneness? I'm going to see if I can answer that question for you by drawing a picture in your head this morning. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you were born into an all-yellow world. You got that so far? Miss Claudette, I know you got that. You got yellow on today. But imagine you were born into an all-yellow world. Everything is a shade of yellow. Every chair, every piece of carpet, the grass is yellow, the sky is yellow, every car is yellow, all your wardrobe's yellow, every person's yellow. Just imagine with me for a moment that you were born into an all-yellow world. Everything is a shade of yellow. You know what? You wouldn't find that strange, to be honest with you, at all, because that is the only world you have ever known. You wouldn't find that strange a bit. Now, I want you to imagine as a friend, I walk up to you and I reach down into my yellow pants and I pull out a red object. You wouldn't know what to do with that. It is something you have never seen before. You wouldn't know what to do with that. In fact, fear would probably grab your heart because you'd be like, what is that? Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unfamiliar. Jesus came along and he showed the Pharisees a color they had never seen before in all their lives. It was the true color of daddy's heart. 
We sang about it this morning when we said, and love ran red. He's showing them the true color of Papa's heart. Mercy and not sacrifice. Grace by faith. And what was the Pharisees' response? <laughs> you know what their response was? Hey, <laughs> we like our ladybugs. We like our mandatory volunteerism. We like choosing who we can love. We like the mandatory love. We like the mandatory giving. We prefer the if he will, I will relationship with God. We like the flammable launch pad too because we believe there are people that need to burn on that flammable launch pad. We like getting our identity. We like getting our worth. We like getting our value from our own performance, from our own behavior. That's why they would stand on the street corners and anoint their head with oil and ash and, sit and wear sackcloth and do it so that you can see them. They're long phylacteries. They wanted everybody to see their works. That was the Pharisee, the religious leader's response. Let me ask you a question. Did the Pharisees' converts experience transformation? Yes. Was their transformation the kind that honors God? No. Was their transformation a positive transformation? No. How do we know it wasn't a positive transformation? Because Jesus said, you make your converts twice the son of hell as you are. And that's how we know it was not positive transformation. So there is a transformation that honors God, and there is a transformation that does not honor God. The problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees was their message. Their message was follow us rather than follow God. Yet they themselves couldn't keep the law. Straining at gnats, swallowing camels, just like the scriptures say. Tying heavy burdens up and putting them on your back, but won't lift a finger to help somebody in need. Friends, that's religion. Can't you see it? It's known by its actions. It's known by its words. It's known by its heart. In following the Pharisees, their converts were made twice as much a child of hell. Child means son, and the word hell there is Gehenna. It literally means everlasting punishment. That's strong language, friends. When Jesus said, you've made your converts twice as much the son of hell. How do you do that? Because you've given them everything you know, plus they're bringing in everything they know. You've made them rotten to the core. Now, the word transformation begins with the prefix trans. One of the definitions for trans just means to change. It's that simple. You see, when I transfer hear that word? When I transfer money from my savings account to my checking account, I have changed my ability to access that money. Do you see how this trans means to change? A translator is someone who will take one language and then they will change it into another language so people can understand it. It means to change. A transcriptionist is someone who will take an audio file, maybe a video file, and they'll take that audio file and they'll start typing it out. And what they're doing is they're changing it from an audio file into a written document. That is a transcriptionist. It means to change. The purpose of a transmission in your car is to what? Change gears. You can't stay in first gear forever, friends. You'll tear your car up. You can't stay in fourth gear all the time. You can't take off. This is the purpose of a transmission. It's to change. The word trans means to change. Now, the word formation. The word formation refers to the development of someone or something into a particular shape or an order of something or the way of thinking. This is what formation means. Therefore, one of the applications of the word transformation is to change or you could say to reshape the way a man thinks or connects with information, connects with revelation. Now, I said this in a previous message in some sort of form, but I want to say it again. I want you to listen to me very carefully here, okay? One of the greatest adversaries of transformation is the climate of satisfaction. <laughs> 
Let me say it again. One of the greatest adversaries to transformation is the climate of satisfaction. It's a mentality that exclaims, this is the way I've always believed and there is no need to change. I don't feel like letting go of the ladybug of the old covenant. Well, I've got news for you, friends. If a person continues to nurture that way of thinking, then they will never change in a positive way and they will never experience the transformation that honors God. Friends, the truest index, and I believe the truest evidence, if you will, that the transformation that honors God has taken root in a man's heart is when he can say with confidence, I am his son. He loves me. And he is well pleased with me. That's transformation. There were times in my life, in my earlier Christianity, I felt like I could say that at certain times. And at other times, I would avoid saying something like that. Not because I got into a mosh pit of dirty dozens, but the littlest thing sometimes, the wrong thought, the wrong behavior, the wrong attitude, put me in a mosh pit. And I just thought, man, I'm in here with all this guilt and shame and fear and condemnation. Didn't know how to get out of that thing. And if you know anything about a mosh pit, it's a crazy dance. Young people like to do it. They get some heavy metal bands usually or punk bands and stuff like that. And they get this core like you have a dance floor and you get guys out there and they run into each other as hard as they can and they're flailing and everything else. And people get injured in mosh pits, friends. And I'm telling you what, we get injured in our soul, if you will, maybe sometimes in our body when we allow ourselves to remain in a mosh pit because fear is, is hitting us and guilt is punching us in the, in the kidneys and Shame has given us the uppercut and condemnation is given us a, a right hook, if you will. Do you see how that works? So the truest index really and evidence that a believer is being transformed into this gospel of grace and what it stands for is simply when he can just say something as simple as I am his. He loves me and I am pleasing at all times in his sight. Beautiful. I am no longer living in an all-yellow world. I have seen the cornucopia of Daddy's glory and goodness. I have experienced His grace. I have taken hold of His precious promises, and I have participated in His divine nature. I love that. That's what the Scriptures just got through. Tell us that we are participants. We participate in His divine nature a place where there's safety, a place where there's security, a place where there's hope and love. There's no mandatory anything there. I love that. We live in a generation whereby many people have been brainwashed. Let's just say it the way it is. Dumbed down, if you will, okay? Conditioned, if you will, to esteem a beautiful philosophy over an ugly fact. <laughs> Catch that? That's one of the reasons we get ourselves into trouble, especially at election time. Too many people choose beautiful philosophy over an ugly fact. Now, I don't have a PhD in theology, friends, but I can tell you with certainty that an ugly fact is always greater than a beautiful philosophy. Is that right? Always better. In the same breath, I want you to know something, that there's something that's greater both than a philosophy and a fact, and that is grace and truth. Grace and truth are the cornerstones that lead us into the transformation that honors God. This grace and truth can only be found in Jesus Christ and his finished work. We see this truth in John chapter 1 and verse 17. It says, for the law, that's the ladybug, right? <laughs> that's the, that ladybug that you don't want to hurt. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth are much more beautiful and deserve far more honor than the ladybug of the old covenant, friends. You see, here's the deal. The law could not transform a man into perfection. Couldn't do it. Only grace and truth hold the power to transform. Holding on to the hand of Moses is like doing the moonwalk. It has this appearance of forward progress, but in actuality, you're moving in reverse. And so it is with those who go back to the old covenant of the law. You know what? It's clumsy. It's clunky. How many of you have driven a four-speed transmission before, a manual transmission? Anybody done that before? All of you? Next time you get an opportunity on a four-speed, I want you to start off in fourth gear. You'll find clumsy, won't you? You'll find clunky, won't you? 
<laughs> you sure will. You'll have to give it an awful lot of gas and start burning up that clutch to get it done, friends. That's what it's like when you go back to this kind of nonsense. How many of you know it's a recipe for going nowhere very fast? It really is. Through grace, our daddy is wanting to introduce us to a life of living colors, but we must be willing to change. We must be willing to molt the old mindset. We must be willing to transform. Did you know that every winner was a loser at one time? Every expert was a novice. Every teacher was a student. So what do winners and teachers and experts have in common? I'll tell you what they have in common. They've all walked the road of transformation. That's what they have in common. The climate of satisfaction was not an option. When people get set in their ways, they resist change. <laughs> Do you know anybody like that? Oh, oh, man. Oh, I could get off on a tangent here for about an hour and give you some examples. But I think you know what I'm talking about. We all have people in our friendships and in our families and even us, for that matter. When they get set in their ways, they resist change, especially when it comes to doctrine, this is the sacred cow, what they believe, if you will, and the way they interpret certain biblical truths. Why do we resist change? We resist change primarily because we have not explored the reasons for change or because we have not understood the consequences of not changing. We don't understand the damage it does to our soul mind. We don't understand the damage it does to friendships. We don't understand the damage it does to our own bodies. So we discount it when it surfaces. You know, the scriptures tell us that only a fool answers a matter before he hears it. I'm always open. I'm always ready to learn. I really do believe in my heart. I've been established that we are saved by grace. We're saved by Christ alone. There's nothing I could do to add to that finished work. I believe that. Trying to tell me anything different in that area is like telling me you were born on February 31st, like I said before. You're not going to persuade me. I've been established. I've been set that way. And I think that's the problem is we all feel like we have it all right in certain areas, and so we just don't want to change. Let me give you an example that affects us all. It's an incontrovertible fact that if any one of us found ourselves in an emergency situation without our cell phone, that we would be hard-pressed to be able to call even our closest loved ones by memory, dial their phone number by memory. Is that true? That is true, isn't it? But if I had to recall more than five or six phone numbers, I'm in trouble. I really am. It has not always been that way. So why is it like that now? I'll tell you why. It's because we have one touch dial on our phones and we've become so sophisticated that we don't have to memorize phone numbers, right? And constitutionally, that's what man prefers. He prefers the easy road. No, he prefers the easy road. He prefers the easy way. And likewise, when we traveled, same thing. People have gotten so used to following the promptings of their navigation system that they no longer feel the need to memorize uh, maps and memorize roads and streets. They just blindly follow the directions uh, of that woman or that man uh, that's talking through their GPS, the commands that they're giving you. What's my point? Trans means to change and formation means the development of someone or something in particular in the way we think. We should never choose philosophy over fact or fact over truth. Facts can change. Truth never does. You see how that works? A fact can change, but truth never changes. Quit expecting crocodiles from elephants and elephants from crocodiles. Everything produces after its own kind. So let me ask you a question. Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit to reshape the way you see things under the new covenant? Or do you want to stay stuck in your all yellow world with one touch dial? <laughs> I don't want to live in an all yellow world. I don't have a problem with yellow, but I don't want everything looking the same. I don't want everything just to be one touch, one touch, one touch, one touch, one touch. No! You need to exercise your heart. You need to exercise your mind at times. Do you want to hold Moses' hand? Or do you want to hold Jesus' hand? Now, friends, I can go back far enough to where my mama used to watch the Gaithers on TV, and you watch what mama watched, right? And I remember the song, Jesus Hold My Hand. 
I remember that one. I remember singing that one. Jesus, hold my hand. I need you every hour. Remember that song? Come on. You know that song, don't you? How many of you have ever sang the song, Moses, hold my hand? And not a single one of you. It's Jesus, hold my hand. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's holding our hand. He's holding our heart. He's holding our mind. And he's saying, son, I want to take you through a transformation process. But you got to give your index finger a rest and quit pushing buttons. Just rest in me for a second. I'll lead you into green pastures. I'll lead you beside still waters. I'll lead you into paths of righteousness for my name's sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. It says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter. Look at what he says. He says it's written on our hearts and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. And then he says, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What are the only commandments that were written on tablets of stone? A ladybug. The old covenant. It was the law. The Ten Commandments. That's what exactly what it was. And out of those came 613 Jewish laws. Continuing, he says these words. I love these first two words. Such confidence. Friends, if someone mistakes your confidence for arrogance, that's their problem. You be confident. He says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Why? Because Jesus is in us and we are in Christ. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We are seated with him in heavenly places. We have confidence. God is for us. He's not against us. We have confidence. Listen, we wouldn't be there for any other reason than God accepted us. He didn't make a mistake. We didn't just slip in inadvertently. Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the best accountant in the world. You're going to make mistakes, right? Everybody's going to make mistakes. God makes no mistakes. And so he says, you can have such confidence through Christ. Through Christ. You see that? Through Christ before God. So when we stand before God, we can have confidence through Christ. Not through all the things that we've done in this world. I'm not saying we don't do things. We do things. I'm here doing something today. I was doing things when I was ministering to my friends over the phone last week. I'm doing things. But we have confidence because Christ. Then he says, not that we are competent in ourselves. Thank God, huh? To claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Confidence comes from God. Competence comes from God. And it says, He has made us competent as ministers, look at those words, of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Isn't that wonderful? The letter's job is to kill, the Spirit's job is to give life. Next scriptures. Now, it says, if the ministry that brought death which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory. What are those letters on stone? That's Ten Commandments, isn't it? He said, if that ministry brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Next scriptures. If the ministry that brought condemnation How many of you want to be under a ministry like that? A ministry that brings condemnation? No, thank you. It says, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So what has the Apostle Paul done here? He has skillfully juxtaposed an all-yellow ministry against a ministry in living color. He laid them side by side. One of the letter... One of the Spirit. 
All yellow world, cornucopia of colors. That's what he's doing right here. He says, for what was glorious, he's talking about the old covenant now, the tablets that were written in stone. He says, for what was glorious has how much glory now? Come on, talk to me. No glory. Can you just show me with your hands what no looks like? <laughs> it looks like that, doesn't it? Looks like one of those zeros. That's not a perfect zero. That might even be upside down. Let me see if I can get this right. <laughs> he said the ministry has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory, meaning now that I have been introduced to the cornucopia of God's glory and goodness through Christ, that other ministry has lost all of its glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We have a hope. What's hope? It's the confident expectation of good. We have a hope on the inside of us. We're seated with Christ. Remember what the scripture said? We're with him. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I love this next one. We are not like Moses. <laughs> Underscore those words in your heart. We are not like Moses. I'm not throwing Moses under the bus. Friends, we're under a new covenant. Moses was under an old covenant. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. What was passing away? The old covenant. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. Now Paul is writing this to new covenant believers, right? And he says, look, even to this day, if you practice the old covenant, he said the veil remains over you. It doesn't change your salvation. And once you come to Christ, you're secure in him. But this veil remains over you that you'll put yourself back in an all yellow world and you will not transform in a positive way. He said, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Next scriptures. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory or behold the Lord's glory, see his glory, are being, look at that word, transformed. We're being changed. We're being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Now, let me say this. Did you happen to make note as to how the transformation that honors God comes about. Is it through a list of commandments? No. Is it because we put turtle wax on the shell of a ladybug? <laughs> no. Is it through mandatory love? No. The transformation that honors God comes from beholding the Lord's glory. Transformation begins by believing the words of our Father when He says, You are my beloved Son whom I love. In you, I am well pleased and I'm always pleased. My final scriptures. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Not his commandments, but his mercy. He said, I want you to get this picture in your head, God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, he says, you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Look at those words. <laughs> but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's where it happens at. It's 
starts to take root when we quit answering a matter before we've listened to it. Because the Holy Spirit is always talking. He's a chatterbox. He loves to communicate. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It literally means by the renovation of your mind. We're not talking about a little paint job. That's refurbish. Renovate is when you take everything out. You take it down to the framework. You put in new plumbing. You put in new wiring. You put on a new wall. Everything has changed. That's renovation. And that's what he's talking about here when he says, be transformed. He says, renovate your mind. Remember, going back to the beginning, it's not about commandment. This is not a commandment. It's about a choice. When we're faced with truth and we realize that the transformation of our hearts begins by renewing our mind, changing our mind. And then he says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When the Scripture instructs us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, it is essentially saying trans, that means change, form, that means development, change the way you form your thoughts regarding the finished work of Jesus Christ through the new covenant of grace, and that will lead to the transformation that honors God. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these. Under the new covenant of grace, God is no longer honored through mandatory commandments and practices. He is not honored by the outward beauty of the ladybug he is honored when we come to the revelation that we are his son and that we are loved and that we are pleasing to him apart from our performance. He will honor his word. He will honor his covenant. He will honor his dear son, Jesus, the sacrifice on the cross. He will honor his promises to us regardless of whether or not we're faithful to him. His promises are yes and amen. Why? Why would he do something like that? Come on, let's ask the question. Why would you do that? God, why would you do that? Daddy, I'll tell you why. Because we are his. Didn't I tell you that earlier? Because we are his, we should do likewise. We should honor Papa. We should honor Daddy. We should honor God. We should honor the Father. Why? Because he is ours. We celebrate the one who called us by his own glory and goodness and then gave us everything that we need for life and godliness. We celebrate the one who leaves his peace with us. We celebrate the one whose feet never release the offensive chemicals of fear and guilt and shame and condemnation, but only the smell of the perfume from Mary's oil. We celebrate the one whom we receive our identity from, the one we get our value from, the one we get our worth from, simply by trusting in his promises and trusting in his character. We are thankful that it is the goodness of God, not the wrath of God, that leads us toward repentance. We are thankful that we are non-flammable, that we can never perish, or that we can never be separated from Daddy's presence. We are thankful that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have escaped the corruption of this world caused by its evil desires. We have been delivered by his divine nature, friends. We are thankful that we are not nearsighted or blind and that we have not forgotten or overlooked the truth that we have been cleansed from our past sins. For this very reason, we make every effort to add to our faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Friends, let me tell you something. You can say so long, good riddance to your all-yellow world, your all-yellow old covenant ideologies and indoctrinations, the cornucopia of grace and truth has already come. Jesus came to show us the true colors of Daddy's heart. His heart is beauty without bugs, mercy and not sacrifice, 
Love without mandates, choice without checklists, identity apart from works, and a transposition of the great arteries by grace through faith alone. Friends, trans means to change. Formation refers to the development of someone or something into a particular shape or order or way of thinking. In other words, the revelation of Jesus Christ and his finished work are changing the way we think and develop. And I can say this with my entire heart. I believe it from the depths of my heart. I believe that this revelation of we are his, we are loved, and we are always pleasing to him is what leads us to the transformation that honors God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Father, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you that you've always wanted to introduce us to living color. Jesus, you came to show us the color of your daddy's heart. You came to show us that love ran red on the cross where you would die, where you would shed your blood so that you could take us away from the old covenant. I want to thank you, Father, that those that will be listening under my voice, those that still have the ladybug of the old covenant on the leash, that they can let go of it and let their little ladybugs just run right away. We don't need the letter of the law. We need the spirit. And we thank you, Father, that when you come and you live on the inside of a man, that's where transformation begins in our spirit. But we want that transformation to seep out into our mind, into our soul, into our will, into our emotions, into our bodies, that we might be whole, that we might live life and see good days, enjoy in life. I believe when we get this revelation of the goodness of God, that it's the goodness of God that leadeth man toward repentance, I believe that is a starting point. That is a starting block that we come flying up out of that block running saying, Daddy, thank you. Thank you that you've given me all the wind that I need. Thank you that you've given me all the revelation that I need. Thank you that you've given me all the spirit that I need. Thank you most of all, Father, that I am yours, that I am loved, and that I am always pleasing in your sight. That, friends, is the revelating, transforming power that honors God. In Jesus' name, amen.